This morning, we are going to continue our, our series through the book of Psalms, and we will be looking at Psalm 3, so you can go ahead and grab your Bible, take that out and turn to the third Psalm. As we think about this book, uh, and we think, you know, if we were to ask the question, uh, what your favorite book of the Bible is, it's very often that Psalms would be at the top of, of the list. Many people refer to this book as, as where they go to the most. And as I was preparing, I was, I was thinking, you know, why is that? What is it about this book in particular that, that calls so many of us to, to refer to it as our favorite? And it's possible it could be because there are some really short chapters that we can get through and feel accomplished. Um, but I think it's something else. I think it's maybe more to what Dana was referring to um, as she read that psalm earlier. We have seen that this book is a collection of, of songs, but it's not just a collection of, of songs as much as it really is a, a script for life written from the heart. Through the psalms, we see not merely the, the outward circumstances, but we get a glimpse of the, the inner soul experiences of life. The, the Psalms seem to capture for us what is going on at the heart level. I, I think this is why it's listed as a favorite book. I think we can just relate to the emotions that we see through the Psalms. They give us uh, the full array of emotions throughout them. We have sadness, joy, fear, victory, despair, triumph, anger, jealousy, loneliness, on and on. Through the Psalms, we get to see what the heart does as the emotions of life encounter the God of life. And with this psalm in, in particular, Scripture gives us both the account of the circumstances of what was going on as well as the heart song that we have recorded for us. The first thing you might notice as you look in your Bibles is that this psalm comes with a title. The ESV puts it this way. It says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. This gives us a, a context to what we're going to, to break down through the psalm. And, and what I'd like to do is, is do a quick, a quick flyover of what the background is for this psalm. The circumstances that were surrounding this psalm. And all the details of this high drama can be found in the book of 2 Samuel. Really from chapters 11 through 18, it, it gives us the details of what is going on. It begins with David. He is the reigning king of Israel and he is enjoying rest in the palace. His army is, is out to battle but he is at home and while he is en enjoying his rest he looks and sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba. And David lusts after her but there's a problem. Bathsheba is married. Her husband, Uriah, is actually out fighting with the rest of the army. 
But David uses his kingly power to press forward with his lusts. And he has her brought to the palace and he sleeps with her. David then gets news that Bathsheba is pregnant. And so now he needs to come up with a way to cover up what he has done. So he thinks, I know, I I will call Uriah, her husband, back from the battle. And and surely when he comes home, he hasn't seen his wife in a while, he will go home and enjoy his house and his wife. So he does that and Uriah comes back. But Uriah is such a noble soldier that he wouldn't dare enjoy the comfort of his home or the company of his wife while his comrades are still out in the field fighting. So David thinks, okay, that didn't work. I know, I'll get him drunk. Surely if he's drunk, then he'll he'll stumble home. But Uriah still refuses to go home. So David needs to come up with a new plan. So he sends word to one of the commanders of his army that Uriah is to be put on the front line of where the, the most fiercest of the battles was being fought. And as they go on attack, have the rest of the men pull back so that Uriah would surely be struck down. The interesting thing is that David actually sends this letter in the hand of Uriah himself to give to the commander. So David gets news that this is what happens. Uriah has been killed in battle and David thinks that problem solved. He goes and then takes Bathsheba and brings her into the palace and makes her his wife. But the Lord is not pleased with David's sin. He sends Nathan, the prophet, to go and rebuke the king because of what he has done. God has a response for David's sin and Nathan tells him through a parable that he is this man who has committed a sin and the Lord is not happy. And he curses David and says that because of his sin, there will be consequences. He will suffer as a result of what he has done. Now David as king has many wives and many sons and one of those sons is named Amnon. And Amnon has a beautiful half-sister. Her name is Tamar. And as Amnon continues to observe her beauty, he grows to love her. But he knows that he can't have her because she is his half-sister. So with the help of his crafty cousin, he devises a plan to have him pretend to be sick. And so calling Tamar, his sister, to come and take care of him. And when she does, he rapes her. Now news of this comes to Tamar's brother, Absalom. And when Absalom finds out, he is really displeased with Amnon. And he comforts his sister, but he doesn't say a word to his brother for two years. And then he decides to throw a sheep-shearing party. And he invites his brother Amnon with plans to kill him when he comes. So Amnon has been killed, and Absalom then flees in fear. 
David is now in deep sorrow. He has one son who has been killed and another who has run away and been estranged from him. After years of this estrangement, David agrees to let Absalom come back to the city. But his condition is that he is not allowed to enter the palace and he is not to come into the presence of the king. So Absalom comes back to Jerusalem and lives in his own house apart from David and for two years he doesn't see the king. And over time, Absalom grows resentful of his father. And through this, he devises a conspiracy. The scripture tells us that Absalom is the most handsome man in all the land and charming at that. And so his conspiracy is that day after day, he will go to the gate of the city and try to influence the people. Basically, he, he badmouths the king and the job he is doing and saying that he could do a better job. And over the course of about four years of doing this, the people are charmed over by him. In chapter 15, verse 12, it says that the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. Verse 13 says, a messenger comes to David telling him that the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. This conspiracy grows so strong that David actually decides to flee the city for fear of coming to ruin. He, he leaves the palace, he leaves his throne and his power and runs and goes into hiding with some faithful men. While David is in hiding, he comes into contact with a man named Shimei. He is a descendant from Saul's house and Shimei sees David running away and he mocks him and he curses him and he tells him that the trouble he is experiencing is a result of his sin. Basically, he's reaping what he has sown. So Absalom then enters into Jerusalem, takes his father's house and his concubines in front of all of the city. And then on top of that, David gets word that one of his closest friends and advisors has turned on him and gone and joined up with Absalom and that he would be the one to devise a plan to kill David. This is the story of, of the circumstances of what's going on behind Psalm 3. And, and in this psalm, we get a picture of what David's heart was doing throughout this trouble. Look with me now as we read through the psalm. David's response in the midst of difficulty. He says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. 
I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Let's pray. Father, as we go through this psalm this morning, we ask that in your grace and mercy you would meet us. That we would not just hear words to think about, but words that might change our hearts. That you would come and through your word work through us in powerful ways. That we would be affected by it and changed forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. An important aspect of of understanding the Psalms is to pick up on the structure that is in place. Much like the songs we sing today have verse and chorus, the Psalms are are composed in such a way. And and this Psalm is broken up into four stanzas, each containing a pair of verses. And so as we we look at David's heart response to his trouble, we want to take each stanza one at a time and see how he responds. The first stanza, verses one and two. O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So David takes the difficulties he's experiencing and he first engages God with his troubles. He goes to God and speaks of what he's experiencing, the difficulties that are around him. In verse 1, he mentions how many there are, how great this difficulty is. But notice that David does not list all the physical troubles that he has. He doesn't mention being forced to flee being away from the city, losing his power and his throne, or the physical threats that were present for him daily, but rather, he talks about what is most troubling to his soul. Verse 2, his enemies are saying of his soul that there is no salvation for you in God. His foes are are mocking him, declaring that God is not for him. And David is here being reminded that this trouble that he is enduring is a result of his own sin. Remember when when Nathan came to bring the Lord's rebuke to David, it it says this in in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. This, This is what the Lord says to him. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. David has seen all the promises that God has given come to fulfillment as a result of his sin. Together with that reality and the mocking of his foes, this brings the greatest trouble to his soul. 
that God might have forsaken him. That, that there might not be salvation for him in God. This, this is the great burden of his heart. All the, all the troubles that he has, he, he really knows he deserves nothing better. And maybe there is no hope for him in God. As the troubles seem to, to pile up one on top of the, another, the most troubling question for him is his relationship with his God. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, puts it this way. He says, it is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. Maybe you can relate to this question that David has in his heart. Maybe there have been times in your life where you've experienced difficulties that things have piled one on top of another and you think one more piece of bad news and you will fall apart. And, and the question might come, does God really care? Does, does he know my struggles? Is, is he really for me in this? We have here, after this stanza, the word selah. It might be written in italics in your Bible. The, the meaning of this word, and it occurs very often in the Psalms, is really uncertain. Many scholars believe that it, it could refer to some musical term or some sort of instruction during the liturgy. Um, we really don't know. But it's certainly meant to bring an emphasis to what is being said. So let me just suggest that, that as we read through the Psalms and, and we come across this word selah, that, that we would use it as a pause for us. That we would use it to, to stop and to deeply consider what is being communicated. And as, and as we do at this point, we, we realize that David's trouble that he is being burdened by is this, this trouble with his soul as a result of the circumstances he is experiencing. And, and he moves on from there with this question in mind, is, is God really for me? And the answer comes in what he knows to be true. Verses three and four. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. David goes to the truth of who God is. This is the reality of, of all of life, isn't it? That we have experiences and we really need to know who God is. See, true understanding of life will always flow from a right understanding of who God is. And so David here, when the circumstances of life bring confusing questions to his soul, he recalls the character of God and the blessing that it is on him. 
He says that you, O Lord, are a shield about me. A shield. A shield is for for protection from harm, from, from the threats that might be all around him. Now, a shield does not prevent trouble from coming. A shield is clearly seen when it is in the midst of trouble, in in the battle. And so David doesn't declare that God is his shield and so he will not experience any trouble, but he talks about how God is that refuge in the midst of trouble. That, That this shield is a safe harbor for him when that trouble comes. See, remember, David's greatest threat is the attacks against his own soul and his relation to his God. So David was still experiencing the physical difficulties. He still had the troubles around him, but his soul is kept safe in the shield that is God. It is a shield that is about him, that it has him completely surrounded, that no part is exposed so from wherever the attacks of doubt may come there is refuge in who God is he then says that God is his glory that this is the God who had once raised him up the God who had established him and David here expresses faith that God would raise him up again, that God would restore him to honor. He trusts in this God who who is the one who brings him glory. And he says that he is the lifter of his head. Those who experience great difficulties hang their head in sorrow. And that sorrow will endure if there is no hope. But David declares God to be the one who lifts his head out of despair and brings him to joy. He declares that God is his hope, the one who pulls his eyes up from sorrow and difficulty to gaze on the one who brings unfailing hope. He lifts his head. In verse 4, David describes how he cries out to God and he answers him. The scripture tells us that when David fled Jerusalem and he had crossed over the brook Kidron, he climbed the Mount of Olives. He climbed in, in weeping and in sorrow to meet with God. He climbed that mountain to to pray, to bring his cares and his troubles to God. And here he tells us that God hears him and answers him. He declares that God cares about his troubles. That God cares to hear, to listen to what is burdening him and that God will answer. This is a precious reminder for us that God cares to hear, that we can come and bring our burdens before him and that he hears and will answer. The next stanza, verses five and six. 
David says, I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around me. So David comes to God in the first stanza and brings him his troubles. And then in the second stanza, he is reminded of who God is. And then here, he takes the truth of who God is and he applies it to his own soul. He says that he laid down and slept. This is a a significant detail for us to pick up on. How can David sleep? Think of all that must have been weighing on his mind. His, His very own son has betrayed him. He has lost his throne and his seat of power. He is away from the palace and the city he loves. Threats are present all around him. His trusted friend and advisor has switched on him and joined with the enemy. He doesn't even know if he'll survive the night. We might be able to relate. That we have had those times where sleep does not come easy. To lay down is one thing, but to sleep is a whole nother story. Where we have put our head on the pillow and the just wanting the burdens and the cares to be cast out of our minds that we might have some peaceful rest, but it doesn't come. David's troubles are are clearly present. He is not even lying on his own bed. He is away from the city. He's not in his palace with his own pillow, but he he is in hiding most likely in an open field, lying on the hard ground, not knowing which way or when an attack would come. His troubles are right there around him. He he doesn't have some strategy where he can just kind of think them away. Some happy thoughts might come so he can rest. His head's on a rock. And yet, he sleeps. He tells us in the second half of verse 5 how he is able to do this. It says, for the Lord sustained me. See, David here reveals what enables him to rest. It is the sustaining power of God. David takes what he knows to be true about who God is And he applies that to his soul. And when he does, it shapes his actions and his attitudes. That that right understanding of God gives him a right understanding of life. And it changes then how he can respond. And he takes that truth That God is those things for him. That God has the power to sustain him. And when he sets that in his soul, he rests. That truth set in his soul brings him 
true trust in God and true rest. It's at this point in the psalm through my preparation that I was truly cut to the heart. See, we can so often remind ourselves the the truths about God and yet fail to set them in our hearts. We can can be going through troubling circumstances and, and, and go to what we know about God. We may even have brothers and sisters come to us to remind us that, that God is for us, that he loves us, that he works all things together for good for those who love him. And we, we kind of respond, yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know all those things. And we miss what David does with it. We miss the aspect of not just knowing those truths about God, but taking those truths and setting them deep in our very soul so we can respond with true trust and rest because that is our God and that is who he is for me. And so David sleeps because he has set truth in his soul. Look at what he does in verse 6. He wakes up and he says, I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around me. He rests and in the morning he declares, I will not be afraid. There are many thousands against him. Now fear is a powerful emotion. And fear grows greatly in the company of uncertainty. David's troubles are still present. He still has many thousands against him, and he is uncertain of what will happen. He doesn't know what will be the outcome of these these threats that are coming against him. He's uncertain of what will be. But he is certain of the God who is for him. And it is in that certainty of who his God is for him that he can declare, I will not be afraid. Are the difficulties still there? Yes. Do they seem hopeless from the eyes of other men? Yes. But David responds with trust and relying on his God. He will not fear. We must pick up on what David is doing here. He is actively applying what he knows about God to his own soul, and that allows him to respond with trust. We must learn from David. We must must pick up on what it means to not just know truth, but to set truth in our soul, because it is there that we will be changed. It is there that we can, we can truly trust God, relying on Him, whatever the circumstances of life may bring. The last stanza, verses 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God, for you will strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord your blessing be on your people. 
David now moves from taking truth and setting it in his heart to calling on God to act on his behalf. He he knows that he cannot face the day's troubles in his own strength. And so he calls for God to come to his aid. And notice notice how he asks God to help him. He, He asks God to strike his enemies, but notice where he wants those blows to land. He says, to strike all my enemies on the cheek and to break their teeth. It's as if David is saying, God, knock them in the mouth that they might stop their mocking, that their words might cease because they are bringing lies to my soul. His confidence in God is so strong that he knows he need only ask the Lord to arise and he is saved. He has such a deep trust now and confidence in his God because of who he is and how that applies to his heart that he can trust in this God to arise and save him, to stop the mocking words of his enemies. And in verse 8, he declares that salvation belongs to God, that the Lord holds salvation in his hand and he brings it to his people and he blesses those who are his. So David finds great hope in the midst of great trouble and he does that by taking truth about who his God is and setting it in his soul and so we must learn from him But there is a greater light to be shown on this psalm. We have seen so far throughout this series that the fulfillment of all these psalms is found in Jesus. And so when when we hear the Savior sing, we get yet a clearer understanding of what we are meant to see here. See, Jesus knew very well what it meant to have many turn against him. The crowds that followed him, wanting to be near him and to hear from him, are the same crowds that yelled, crucify him. Judas, one of the twelve who was with him day after day by his side throughout his ministry, would turn on him, betray him, and be a part of the plot to kill him. His his closest companions would leave his side at the height of his trouble. Jesus knew what it meant to be mocked as he was dying on the cross many cried out and mocking him about how salvation had eluded him, that his God would not save him. And the greatest agony of his soul was to be forsaken by God the Father. 
This very same trouble that David experienced about, is God for me? Would he forsake me? Jesus Christ experienced on the cross in the darkness of the day as God turned from him because he bore the sins of men. As David suffered under the the weight and guilt of his own sin, Jesus would bear the great weight of the sins of all who would believe in him. And we see the agony that he experienced in the garden of Gethsemane as he cried to God about the difficulty that he was going to experience and what this meant for him to bear the sins of men and to be forsaken by the Father, he wept and sweat. It broke him down. And yet, we see him steadfast through his trial. It was for the joy that was set before him that he would endure the cross. He knew the glory that was to be. And as he endured the trial, he rested knowing that God was his shield, that God was his glory, that he was the lifter of his head. Jesus knew his God and he trusted him deeply in the greatest of troubles. And as David slept and rested, the Savior slept the sleep of death. But even death could not hold him. He awoke. He awoke in victory over sin and death by the sustaining power of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and that salvation has a name, and that is Jesus. God brings salvation to his people. It was was his plan that he he would make a way for those who would be far from him to be reconciled by sending his own son into the world to take on flesh so that that flesh could be broken and pierced and punished for those who had sinned against God. That that Jesus, the Savior, would bear all the sins of men on the cross and be forsaken by the Father so we wouldn't have to. That if we place our faith in Him, if we trust in Him as our Savior, that we will know God and be with Him forever. This is the gospel message. This is the great joy that we have in the Savior. Jesus is the great salvation for those who are God's. Jesus is the blessing on his people. And this morning, if, if you are here, and, and that gospel you have heard maybe many times before you know it but yet the question of whether that is truly set in your soul you're unsure of you don't know if 
if you truly have trusted in Jesus, in, in who He is and what He has done, the Word of God calls you this morning, invites you to partake of this gospel. It is good news for you. And so repent and, and turn from your sin of unbelief and, and throw yourself at the mercy of God because of what Jesus has done for you and trust in Him. And then you can have true hope. Because if you don't have Him, if Jesus is not yours and you experience great difficulties and trials, you are really left to the strategies of men. And they may work for a little while, but eventually they will fail. But if you have Christ, you have a hope that will never fail. A hope that will endure no matter what the circumstances are. And if you are a true believer this morning, let me encourage you to, to take up this psalm and, and to set it in your soul. D don't leave it on the page. Take the truth of who God is and place it in your heart. Maybe you've come this morning and you are in the midst of it. You are, are fleeing like David. You are experiencing great difficulties, things that just continually pile up upon you and you feel like the weight would crush you. Let me just encourage you and invite you to take this psalm and to know that God is your shield, that He is your glory, that He will lift your head. I want to close this morning by reading this psalm for us one more time. And I want to read it slightly differently this time. It, it is something that I picked up on and, and it actually is, is a, a good way that has helped me to take truth and, and set it in the soul. We know that the scriptures that we have before us, they are the inspired word of God, that God has inspired men to record these words. And so God is the author of all of scripture. And we have on our pages his word written through the hearts and minds of men. And so what I want to do is I want to read this psalm again to you, but I want to read it as if God were reading it directly to your soul. Coming directly from him. And as I do, let me, let me just invite you to, to just close your eyes. Close your eyes and, and think and listen to this psalm one more time. I, the Lord, know how many are your foes. Many are rising against you. Many are saying of your soul, there is no salvation for him in me. But I am a shield about you. I am your glory. I am the lifter of your head. You cry aloud to me, and I answer you from my holy hill. Lay down and sleep. You will wake again, for 
I will sustain you. Do not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against you all around. I, your God, will arise and save you. I will strike all your enemies on the cheek and I will break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to me and my blessing will be on my people. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the details and the circumstances surrounding what we have read and we thank you that we have the heart of a man who has walked through difficulty and found hope in God. We thank you that you have proven your great love for us through the sending of your son and the dying of him in our place. Father, we ask that your word would be set in our souls today to change our hearts forever. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.